homily for the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time, September 4th, 2022, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks. In the past 60 years, following the Second Vatican Council, there has been enormous growth in the publishing of individual or group Bible studies among Catholics in our country. Any number of websites and apps are available at little or no cost. It feels, to me anyway, like there's an avalanche of content at our fingertips, as long as we endeavor to look for it. People are naturally curious about the difficult statements of Jesus in the Gospels, like what we heard today. My impression is that such passages can intimidate authors of these Bible study courses. How many of them might feel compelled to make excuses that rob Jesus' words of their punch? How many, for example, might argue, words in Greek or Aramaic can be translated many ways into English, after all, and so here's what the Lord actually was saying. Well, this becomes a pitfall if the authors portray a version of Christ that is untrue, often by disarming him or reducing him to a wise man who said nice things. Remember that Jesus' convictions led him to the cross and a gruesome death. We're not talking about a random assassination of a lone radical, but an execution at the hands of his nation's religious leaders. When has a wise man who said nice things ever received the same fate that befell Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But as Simeon predicted to the Blessed Mother, he is also a sign to be contradicted. Then, as now, Jesus is both ridiculed and feared, both loved and despised. Today's liturgy delivers a jolt to our sensibilities. The principles his gospel lays out are to be applied both when convenient and inconvenient. Do we know whom we're following? and choose to follow him anyway? Or are we just along for the ride? Let's begin by setting the stage of today's gospel. We heard that great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Among them were many people who the rest of the world might think of as insignificant. And yet they recognize right away in Jesus a master not like any other, one who is close to them and concerned with their hopes. But Jesus is not intoxicated with popular success and inciting the crowds to follow him blindly, not knowing where he leads them. And here's where we will tackle head-on the most troublesome passage that we heard today. We're quite familiar with Christ's call to carry our cross in order to be his disciple. But what's this about hating our family and our very selves? In Jesus, if Jesus insists on being that harsh, why doesn't he just plain tell them all to go away? Honestly, a part of me would like to refute this message. But as your pastor, that's not my job. What I'll try to do is to explain it as best I can. First of all, what is hatred anyway? Standing up by itself, it doesn't make sense to say that hatred is always a vice. To hate the world's evils, for example, is justified. It repels them from us. 
but the suggestion of hating oneself or one's family is offensive to us and goes against all forms of common sense. Christ's demand of his disciples would lose its force if the one who proclaimed it did not hold in the highest esteem a love for parents, spouse, children, or siblings. Our Lord truly loved his relatives, his friends, and even his enemies, a feat that's very hard for us to match. But only devotion to the Father and his Father's will had an absolute value. Therefore, he wants our relationship with him to redefine everything, period. Here's just one example. If my family, whom I love very much, decide to love what is evil, for example, supporting pornography, selling drugs, I cannot fall in with them or condone their actions. And they may hate me for it, but there's no other choice. Jesus is the way. Either I follow him or I don't. The Lord goes on to offer many parables about a businessman constructing a tower and a king assembling an army. What do these two kinds of people have in common? Each of them is embarking on some of the biggest projects they will ever undertake. The stakes are huge, and the costs are enormous. Jesus asked whether or not those crowded around him were willing to be similarly invested in him. He's telling us, calculate the cost and decide today, one way or another. Fidelity to Christ will not just magically fall into our laps. Discipleship requires that we locate the barrier standing in the way of following God and ask him to remove them. As a commentary that I had read put it, Christian life is a victorious surrender. We invest in Jesus in both large and small ways. Parents may ask themselves, what are my ch children learning about Jesus from me? Will they be the Catholics that they ought to be because of my example? Young adults may ask themselves, when I call myself Catholic, is it only a name or am I living up to the name? Will I keep my faith if someone criticizes me for it? Each of us invests in Christ by keeping the precepts of his church by our lives of prayer and stewardship, and by seeking his forgiveness. When confronted by his own unworthiness, Simon Peter told Jesus, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, but still remained close to him. Do we know people who have said the same thing to Jesus, but instead have pulled away? Is there someone in your life aching to return to the church, but not doing so? because of fear or pride. Can you tell them, let's take care of this once and for all. Let's ask God to lift this burden and abandon this restlessness. You may be the first one they would listen to. Reflecting on Christ's words today, I thought of something the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about what he called the price of grace. I'd like to share his thoughts with you. It's a lengthy quote, but I believe well worth it. Bonhoeffer writes, Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For its sake, 
one gladly goes and sells all that he has. It is the pearl of great price. For it the merchant sells all his goods. It is the kingdom of Christ. Therefore the man plucks out his eye, which is an occasion of sin. It is the call of Jesus Christ. Hearing it, the disciple leaves his net and follows. Costly grace is the gospel that must always be sought. It is the gift for which one must ask. It is the door at which one must knock. It is costly because it calls for obedience. It is grace because it calls for obedience to Jesus Christ. It is costly because it may cost a man his life. It is grace because only thus is man brought to new life. It is costly because it condemns sins. It is grace because it justifies the sinner. It is costly grace most of all because it has cost God dearly, because it has cost God the life of his Son. You have been bought at a great price. Because what has been costly for God cannot be cheap for us. It is grace, most of all, because God did not regard his Son as too precious for our lives, but gave him for us. Costly grace is God becoming flesh. Amen.